Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you are hearing this. This is Reverend Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's edition, episode 279 of Bible Bites as we read through God's Word this year. Today, my reading is found in Matthew chapter 11 through 12, and so I want to speak uh, about this portion of Scripture today. Oh, there's so much richness in God's Word. It's so hard for me to to consolidate these into small, small little bits of information, but I'm doing the best I can. There's just so much there, and there's so much on the heart of the Lord for me to share with you. It's, it's hard to not be able to share that. So I do apologize when some of these are longer than you might expect or, or have planned for. So God is in control, and I thank you for listening, and I trust these are being a blessing to you. In chapter 11, verses 2 through 6 is where we find this, um, this story, this event, where John the Baptist is raising questions about Jesus. Now, you have to understand who John the Baptist is. Remember, he's Jesus' cousin. He is of the Levitical, Levitical priesthood line because he was the son of Zacharias and Elizabeth, he, above all else, would have known who Jesus was other than Mary, his mother. Mary, the mother of Jesus, I mean. And so anyway, John knew, and John was the first one to identify him, remember? He said, and you'll read that in John chapter 1, uh, all, of the, all of the Gospels function together kind of as a whole unit because they give us different uh, angles of the same events and so forth. So sometimes it's probably wisest to take all of the Gospels together and any event that is recorded in other Gospels, read it in all of the sections and all of the Gospels that it's in. And then you, that way you can see the whole of the picture better. So John the Baptist is the one that identifies Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and he's the one that baptized him. We talked about that the other day. So now the setting is this. John's found himself in prison, and he's in prison because he's preaching for Jesus, and he's preaching the truth, and he's preaching repentance. So in other words, John says, wait a minute. Is this, uh, this isn't quite the way I expected this whole Messiah thing to work out. John may have been one who also expected Jesus to come in and take over and clear everything up and straighten everything out right then. And so things have not worked out the way John expected. It's the same for us today. There are times when things in our Christian walk don't work out quite the way we thought they were supposed to or the way we expected God to do. And so, in a sense, this is, an, is a lesson for us as well. But God's plan is always better. So Jesus verifies with what John knows to be true from Scripture by saying, okay, go and tell John. This is what you're seeing and hearing happening. And he gives him these, um, these words. These come directly from Isaiah the prophet who prophesied about the Messiah. And you can find these recorded in Isaiah 35, verses 3 through 6, 
And also in Isaiah 61, verse 1, it talks about the Spirit of the Lord is upon him to preach the gospel and the good news and bind up the brokenhearted and so forth. So Jesus basically comes back in verse 6 and says, Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. In other words, what he's saying to John is, I know it's not quite looking like the things you expected, but don't let this deter you. Do not let your expectations or lack of them or disappointments become a hindrance to you. Don't let them be an impediment in you finishing strong. Even if you don't understand everything, do not be offended at me. Trust me. Trust and obey. And so we need to remember that too, that when things don't work out like we expected and thought, that God is still in control. He knows what he's doing. His timing and his way is perfect. And we have to trust in him and keep on going and do not let that become a stumbling block for us or against us. So that's what he means when he tells him, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. We should keep on trusting the Lord and not desert the way and get lost off somewhere because we got disappointed or we got offended. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't let that happen to you, John, is what he was telling him. So we also must guard against this when things do not go quite like we thought or expected them to happen. Then he goes into talking about John the Baptist to the crowd that's left. After John's disciples leave, he starts talking about John. And John, he says, he says many things about John that we need to understand. And sometimes John the Baptist can kind of get um, second fiddle. And, and that doesn't mean that he should be above Christ. Absolutely not. John himself said, I must decrease that he may increase or that he and he must increase. So it's not that. But sometimes we don't realize how important of a role that John the Baptist did play. And so Jesus affirms him. He affirms his mission. He affirms and that John fulfills both Isaiah 40, verse 3 through 8, and Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, and Malachi 4, verse 5, in the spirit of Elijah, in that sense. He also confirms that John is more than a prophet, but also that John is a prophet. As a matter of fact, John was the last of the official Old Testament prophets, you could say. He became the transition person that brought the Old Testament to an end, but at the same time ushered in the new covenant, ushered in the newness of what God was doing. So John forms that transitional person in a sense. He speaks about how the least can still be, the least in the kingdom of heaven be greater than John, even though John was declared by Jesus to be the greatest up to that point. And I believe what he's saying here is that even though John was a great man, a great saint, and a wonderful, wonderful person and got acclimates from um, Jesus, yet John did not have the kingdom of heaven working from him within him, in a sense. In the sense, through the blood of the covenant of Jesus' blood, we have the Holy Spirit living within us. 
and we are able to accomplish more um, than John could in that day because we have the Holy Spirit and the grace of God that was not operating in the same way prior to the cross as it is now after the cross of Jesus Christ. He speaks in verse 12 about the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. He's not talking about a military physical violence there. He's talking about people that are strong in the Lord, seizing it and not letting it pass them by. He speaks in verse 15. Here we see this phrase, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. You'll see, you'll find that in other places in the scripture, primarily in the book of Revelation in chapters 2 and 3. And it's talking about having open ears to hear and to obey. Beginning in verse 20, he begins to rebuke certain cities because of great works and miracles that were done in them. And Jesus makes it clear here that the miracles were not for show. They were for drawing people to repentance. They were intended to draw people to turn to him. And repentance is what was necessary. Jesus, in the last few verses of this chapter, gives us some beloved verses that we know well about an invitation to come to true rest. And I believe this can be applicable, of course, to us emotionally, spiritually, even physically. But it also refers, I believe, to the Sabbath rest in the kingdom that we enjoy because we're not trying to work to earn our salvation, but we rest in the fact that his finished work on the cross of Calvary has brought us into true salvation, and we are justified by faith alone apart from any works that we could have done. In chapter 12, remember Matthew here is speaking of Jesus' authority. He's proving that he's the son of David. He's proving that he's a Jew and that he is the promised Messiah with authority. So in chapter 12, he starts off and he first hits on the idea and the topic of Jesus' authority over the Sabbath. You find in verse 1 through 8 that they, the, he and his disciples were going through grain fields on the Sabbath day. And the disciples were hungry. And so, you know, of course, the Pharisees try to come up and challenge him. It's not lawful for you to do this. Well, they were coming from Deuteronomy 23, verse 25. However, they forgot about David eating the showbread that was not lawful for him to eat. And David, Jesus never rebukes David here for doing that. As a matter of fact, he uses it to show that it's more important to meet the needs of people than it is to to hold to some legalistic law that does not allow for their needs to be met. God always cares more about people no matter what day of the week it is, even on the Sabbath. And he also shows us here that he is Lord of the Sabbath. He has the final authority. In verse 9 through 13, we see another example of that. 
because he heals the man with the withered hand on the Sabbath. He's the final authority. He's going to do good works and minister to people no matter what day of the week it is. People are worth much more to him than animals and other things. In verse 12, he clearly says, Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So he's correcting their misinterpretation of the Torah law and how they've made it into such a legalistic thing. That's not what God intended originally for it to be. In verse 14 through 15, however, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they don't like what he said, and they start trying to plot to kill him. Jesus uh, gets away from them, not because he's trying to avoid the crucifixion, but he will not allow anyone or anything to either preempt God's timing or to delay it. He will be crucified, but he will be on the, on the exact time. Matter of fact, later on we read in the Gospels where he said the hour has come. It's now time. It's the right time. We've got to go, and I've got to go to the cross, basically, is what he's saying there. So he knows the timing, and he won't let anything or anyone preempt it, nor will he let anything draw him away from it or delay it. Then he goes on and he's talking uh, more of authority here over even demonic uh, spirits. And he talks more about those. Um, he tells us in verse 31 and beyond what the unforgivable sin is. And many people talk about that. What it is, is the denial and the rejection of Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. The true question of life boils down to this, and this is what we will all stand before the Lord and have to give an answer to. Who do we say Jesus is? What have we done with Jesus the Christ, the Messiah? The Holy Spirit was on him since his baptism. The Holy Spirit was the one that formed him as a human being in Mary's womb. And the Holy Spirit had moved on the Old Testament writers to prophesy of him. So to reject him is to reject the Holy Spirit. Now he goes on down and he says, Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him, but not against the Holy Spirit. What he's saying there is that even on the cross, if you'll remember, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We can speak or someone can speak against Jesus without knowing exactly the truth about him, the truth about who he is. They think they may know him. They may know about him or maybe they don't know him at all. And so they may speak against him in a cursing way. But when the Holy Spirit of God brings revelation knowledge to that person, and makes clear to them who the Son of God is and what he did for them on the cross, when they reject that time and time again. Now, God may go after them many times, but there will come a point 
where when they reject that, they have now committed the unpardonable sin and cannot and will not be forgiven of that. It might be at their last breath. It might be the, the first breath they have in eternity, so to speak. God will always go after everyone and he will give opportunity after opportunity because he loves us that much. But there'll come a time when he will require an accounting of what did we do with Jesus? Did we receive him? Or did we reject the Holy Spirit's knowledge and, and con conviction upon us as to who Jesus really is? And I believe that's what it's talking about here. Later on in the verse, verse 36 through 37, he speaks of how important words are. He even talks about how we'll give an account for idle words, useless or lazy words, not being carefully chosen, not being truthful, or having any meaningfulness or benefit to them. Words are very important, and we are judged by our words. In verse 38, he begins to talk about a generation that's seeking after a son. This is very important for us today because there are many people running around with all kinds of supernatural things that they're claiming happening. And some are valid. I'm not saying that they're all wrong. Some may very well be truly from the spirit of the Most High God. But that doesn't mean they all are. You know, there's an old saying that says everything that glitters is not gold. Everything that's got a Christian name on it is not necessarily Christian. And so we got to be careful because an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. So the main thing Jesus is saying here is we don't need to be seeking miraculous things. We are to seek God and his kingdom first. We read that earlier in Matthew. And he also tells us later in the Gospels that the signs will follow those who believe. We don't go seeking after them. The signs are to confirm the word and to draw people to repentance, just like he pointed out here in this passage today. So we need to be careful about that and watch out for that because there is a generation that's coming up today that's out there seeking after signs, running after this prophecy, that prophet, this miraculous sign, that miraculous sign. And in the end times, the devil will be given the opportunity and will have some deceiving powers as well. And so it's very, it's something that we've got to take very seriously and be very cautious about. Don't be seeking after signs. You seek God and he will bring the signs as he wills and for his good purposes only. Then in where he gives us more information about demonic activity in verse 43 through 45. And it includes a warning here that we need to be filled with more of Jesus. We need to be filled with Jesus. Let's not let our house become empty so that it would be open to any form of the demonic realm to come into. And then in verse 46 through 50, we deal with this issue of when his family comes to see him, his mother and his brothers, and he says... My family are all of you disciples, all of those who will obey the will of my Father, who will do what I say, hear my words and obey them. He wasn't saying he didn't love his mother and his brothers 
and he wasn't excluding them. But what he was doing was saying that those in my family are the ones that, that love me, and out of that love, they are hearing my words, and they are obeying my words and doing the will of my Father in heaven. I trust this has been a blessing to you today, and Lord willing that you can join us again for future episodes of Bible Bites. God bless you today, in Jesus' name.